Pop 47 live in Nashville, all about the bass. Welcome back to Pop, your pop culture podcast. I'm Ken Mills, your host here today. And today we have a live discussion with three really cool bass players. Now, when I crafted the questions, it was with non-bass players in mind as well. Yes, there's some stuff about the gear and what kind of bass they like to use and stuff like that. But I think that this is just a fun episode, just a fun live recording, and I hope that you really enjoy it. Can't say enough about the three guys who were part of it. Jack Gibson from the band Exodus, Jay McDowell from the band BR549, and the Musicians Hall of Fame, a great place you need to check it out. And, of course, John Billings of the Monkees, Rick Springfield, Lita Ford, Donna Summers, too numerous to mention. I'll be back at the other end of this discussion to talk about some pop news. But without any further ado, here we go. Live from Nashville, August 10th, 2019. It's all about the bass. I'm all about the bass, about the bass, 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 bass. And I'll slice it by the one and only Godfather himself, Mills. Take it away. How we doing, everybody? Thank you, Aaron Camaro. Welcome to Rockin' Pod 3 2019, all about the bass. Today we have three great bass players, and today I'm going to ask them about what it's like to be a working musician, how to stay a working musician. And are the bass players the Rodney Dangerfield of rock? <laughs> right? So please introduce yourself real quick. You play for Exodus. I play for Exodus. I'm Jack Gibson, bass player for Exodus. Yep. And then we've got Jay McDowell. Jay McDowell. The, yeah. BR549, country band. And he also works at the Musicians Hall of Fame, which is a great place. If you love music, you need to get there. This mm-hmm. next gentleman is John Billings. He plays with the Monkees, Mickey Dolan, so on and so forth, but he's played with Lita Ford. He's played with Rick Springfield, Donna Summers, so many people. It's just insane. Uh, and I know everybody here would like to play with Lita Ford. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Anybody like to play with Lita Ford out there? All right, so these, these are the guys, and... Uh, I'm going to ask, plus, plus John was also with the Atomic Punks. Anybody know them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You forgot, John. So <laughs> we're going to go around the, the, the thing here, and we're going to ask you, what was it that made you say, I want to play bass? Um, actually, it was Billy Sheehan. I saw him when he was in Talos and uh, opening for Ingve, opening for and he... I, was like holy shit you can actually do that on bass and uh went home and got one and started playing anybody love billy sheehan out there huh? of course of course Who that's doesn't? right he's the man and then we've got jay mcdowell who was it that made you say i want to i want to play the bass well truthfully it was the frustrated guitar player not being able to find a bass player yeah <laughs> story that is so common and uh so in my case it was needed an upright bass and there was just so few upright bass players that I said, well, I'll take a whack at it. And uh, I'm still 
whacking. Uh-huh. <laughs> Still whacking. Well, I think most of us are in this room. Anyway, uh, John Billings. <laughs> John, what was it that, who, really, who was your inspiration? What was it that made you want to pick up the bass? Well, I was like Jay. Everybody played guitar, and I realized if I wanted to, to, to gig, I had to be the bass player, and I could play with everybody's band. So, but it was Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons was the one that got me going. You mean Gene Simmons of the rock group? That's his. That's the guy. <laughs> the very one. <laughs> so in a way, he helped get you started. Absolutely. Yeah. See, a lot of people underrate him, but we'll we'll talk about him later. Okay. So you you guys were talking about, for example, Jay. You were saying it, it's kind of like the uh, baseball kind of a thing, right? They needed a shortstop, so you became a shortstop. Yeah, yeah, it's, it was a necessity, and, and I did learn immediately that I got way more calls for upright bass than for guitar. Now, yeah. why is that? Because there were like three upright bass players in Nashville, <laughs> and so I could fit right in, and they were all busy. They, you know, they, they had gigs with Johnny Cash and Lou Harris, and uh, well, okay, who's... Who's our fourth call? <laughs> Go to that guy, you know. So it all works out. And at and first I was almost turning down, like, no, I'm not good enough. And they're like, yeah, yeah, come on, we need you, you know. Yeah. Okay, shut up and take the gig. You know? yeah. Now, Jack, yeah. you share a similar story as well, right? The, you were, there was another guitarist in a band, and they didn't need a yet another guitarist, right? Yeah, like everybody I knew played guitar, so, and they were already, like, really good guitar players, and I, you know, so if... You know, once I picked up the bass, I was just playing with everybody, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, really, in, in a lot of ways, a bass player is only as good as his rig and his instrument, right? And you tend to have a real brand loyalty to something that you love. And I know that you mm -hmm. guys are kind of endorsed by people and stuff like that. Who, is, who are you in? Like, like what, what, is, what is your weapon of choice? Uh, for basses, it's always been a Yamaha for some reason. For me, uh, I've always played Yamaha. It was the first bass I, I pulled off the shelf and liked, and uh, even to this day, like I, I my my hands will always go back to to them. What is it about a Yamaha bass that makes you go, oh yeah, this is the one? Well, like I've actually had nicer instruments, um, like I've had you know like like thumb basses and you know these nice hardwood basses, but. The Yamaha fits right into the mix, right in the right where I want it to be. And you're a five-string player. I'm a five-string guy, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I started as a four-string uh, and then moved to five. Right. Now, Jay, do you have a particular bass that you love? Uh, yeah, it's a, a K bass from 1961. Ooh. <laughs> really? I can't get... They don't make them anymore, so I can't get freebies. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> uh, Ampeg has always been good to me. Uh, St. Louis Music. And uh, Diodario strings um, mm -hmm. have always helped me out, and um, but yeah, it's it's a different, it's just a different animal playing the old, the old actual old instruments. Uh, my my biggest hurdle is finding people that can repair and keep it up, keep it running. Yeah, you know, keep things it that are things that are above my. I have a question level. for Jay. Can I ask Jay yeah, a question? Yeah. So you run your upright through like Ampeg and stuff. How do you keep it from feeding back crazy? Um, I play low, real low stage volume. Okay. And let the house okay. run it. Okay. Let, let them deal with that hassle. Right. But yeah, like locally me, it's just low level. Do you cover the F holes? Nope. No. Oh, no. Okay. Killer. Wow. And um, I've never, yeah, I've never, really, rarely ever had trouble with that. Okay. Cool. 
Interesting. So, John Billings, what is your weapon of choice, sir? These days I've been playing uh, Epiphone Jack Cassidy in the Thunderbird Vintage Pro. And uh, for the I monkey stuff. I love the stuff, look of that uh, Thunderbird. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's it, for the old stuff that I've been playing lately, it's, it came out awful, but yeah. for the monkey sound, for that tone, right. that, those basses are great. And, and I still play them with round wounds with a pick, and I get a little bit more attack than I do with the, with the flats. But that and the Trickfish rigs and uh, Diodario strings, I love it. Now, now and, and, and you have an endorsement with them as well? Four strings. John, you I have, have an endorsement with uh, Trickfish, Diodario, and um, Epiphone. Mm-hmm. Now, are wonderful are you, people, all of them. Now, are you guys finger picking or, or pick picking? Uh, I'm a I'm a finger picker. Yeah. yeah. Jay really doesn't have much of a finger. choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've never bowed. I've never bowed a base. Never. You never. You never. Never played no. a, uh, like a Jimmy Page kind no. of a thing. No. It's still the time. hell with that. It's still time. And John, I'm not, I'm not saying I won't. And John, how about you? It, I do both. It just depends on the gig. So if it's, uh, like last night it was an R&B gig, so it's fingers. And if it's an oldies gig, I, I always uh, palm mute with the pick. Plus it also has yeah, to do, see, like, I, it, I, I'm jealous. I'm kind of jealous of that because, like, I just suck with a pick. And, like, like, to me that's, like, the best way to be able to go is to jump, be able to jump back and forth, you know. Because he's right, like, I get into gigs sometimes where just my fingers just don't make the right the right, right sound and it takes me a long time to like dial in what I need you know and if I could really be more articulate with a pick it would be better I think now how many of you did actual lessons like, uh, yeah, like I did oh, yeah, yeah for sure sure, sure yeah. yeah so then musical education is something that you would recommend to anybody don't oh, yeah. you know it's, it's, it's one thing to oh, mess yeah. around in your bedroom but if you're serious about this Put time into your craft, right? And and I'll throw out there like take lessons in other instruments. Yeah. Learn yeah. learn like totally. it's a different approach that helps your bass playing. If you learn piano or if you learn guitar, that's, that's it, right. it all adds up. Well, like uh, John, for example, I know that you play some different kinds of music. Like when you're playing the Monkees, for example, or you're playing with Rick Springfield, what makes how you approach your picking style and stuff like that is it based on what the original yeah, players the gig. did it's totally the gig so if it's if it was rick it was you know with the usually i played a fingers but i um matt bissonette was doing the gig and he always played with a pick so after a while i was like you know i probably need to play this with a pick and that's what rick's used to hearing so i slowly kind of was moving towards that and then once the monkeys came around i heard the iso tracks and it's all pick everybody back then was playing Half the time I was a guitar player playing a bass, right. and it played off a pick, and that was that's the sound. So it's like, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to probably do it right. right. <laughs> but if, like, you know, last night was like I said, it was a, a smooth jazz R&B gig. That's all. I palm mute, finger finger pick, and um, uh, slap stuff. It's just whatever the gig calls for, the genre calls for. So you bring the funk. I brought a little last night. It a little a, funk. It was a tiny amount, believe me. Un poquito funk. Un poquito. Uh, um, are you ever surprised by the audiences that you find? Like, for example, uh, you play everywhere around the world. Are you surprised that people know Exodus everywhere you go and that there's a hunger for it? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, you know, like just in today's world, 
you know, stuff gets proliferated to, to everywhere. So, I mean, if you make a quality, if you make something people want to hear, they're going to hear it everywhere, you mm -hmm. know, these days. So, right. um, you know, and I mean, that, you know, that brand's been out there for 35 years or whatever. And, you know, it, you know, like, like especially like, you know, heavy metal and, and thrash metal, like, the fans take on like that whole persona and it's like a whole like defining role in their entire life, how they dress, how they, you know, whatever they do. So like our fans, they're always like metal, you know, they're, they're always metal people and they're always out there and they're, they're in every little nook and cranny of, of every little town. So, right. you know, and it's like, it's a small amount of these like people that, We'll never give it up, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Thank God, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, keeps, keeps the lights on, yeah, right? Exactly. Now, Jay, when BR549 started, you can, guys were kind of a revolution. I'll echo that sentiment exactly. In the traditional country world, I mean, everything Jack just said is it's just a different genre. Just put a different jacket on it. Right? Yeah. That's it. That's it. It's that thing. It's this. But you're right. It The the access to art is there now. Right. And when we were all younger, we had to really search it out. And you had to right. go to your parents' records and, right. and find the neighbor guy down the street that might have been into that band that you were into. And now right. you get on your phone and you find it and it's, you know, it's almost too much, but right. it's so... It's so uh, but it also similar. allows you to keep an online presence and keep revenue coming in and yeah, things like yeah. that. So that's oh, great. I know that when sure. BR549 first started, you guys were kind of revolutionary in a lot of ways. Because like you had like Dwight Yoakam bringing back a, a certain old style of country, and there were a lot of people doing that. Well, it was a, it was a case where all we heard was why it wouldn't work. Yeah, that's all we heard. you don't do this. And, and, and we were able to say, that's fine. That's not why we're doing this. We're doing it because we love it. And that was the heart of it that led to it breaking through, right. where reason after reason why you can't have a name like BR549. Right. You can't dress like 1962. You can't sing whiny country songs. Yep. But that's what we wanted to do. And that resonated, again, with a small group of passionate people that it related to it. And, and what it was still fun, resonates today. It's timeless. Same with the monkeys. It's timeless. They, it, it reaches, you know, you see young kids showing up at the shows yeah, that have the records and the TV show, and you realize, like, oh, it's still reaching people, and the same message is still resonating. And we certainly saw that, and it was fun to see younger kids that would come with their parents, and then vice versa, the parents would bring the kids. Well, know? it was also weird because you had, like, Rolling Stone saying you guys were the Thrillbilly band. And uh, you actually wound up on MTV of all places, right? It was, it was um, just because it was it stood out of the pack. It was different, yeah. well, and so it went from all the reasons why it wouldn't work to like, oh, it's revolutionary. Yeah, and right. and <laughs> you, you were you you guys kind of did the same thing that the Stray Cats did with rock and roll. You like stripped the varnish very, off, yeah. pulled it back to the real root of it. Yeah, very parallel to that for sure. I, I always said that if the Stray Cats happened. In the year 2000, they would have been played on country radio rather than yeah, rock radio. Definitely. It could have gone that way. And well, they probably would have had a DJ with a mixing board and all that. But Whatever, yeah, yeah. Old, you know, Old Town Road, right? Now, John, you, you just finished a tour with Mickey Dolans and before that, the Monkees. And you guys 
took over Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, we did. It was and a now, blast. It, and you guys sold out the Sydney Opera House. It was amazing. I, I never and it was fast. It was much like less, bang. Much less play there. And then they, they, they sold the thing out. And wow. It was, it was amazing. It was wow. just incredible. Do you ever feel like this thing has reached as far as it can go, right? <laughs> and then you're... Well, you know, and then they call again. Huh? And then I get an email or I get a call and we're doing it again. Right. So you, you, as soon as you think, like, oh, I can't possibly go another year or something like that, there come the dates show up in, in your email and you're like, oh, we're off... But, again. but you said one time, don't take anything for granted because no, you until you get the plane ticket, <laughs> exactly, it when, doesn't mean squat, right? There's Jack? no gig. Until you're there's sitting no on the plane, it's, yeah, it no does gig. not matter. It's I've always all found planning. that the plane ticket is the deciding factor because right. they spent, they invested in the ticket. They'd rather keep you for one more gig because they bought that ticket. That's right. <laughs> Fantastic. That's right. So, what tip would you have? Your number one tip for someone who wants to be a professional touring musician. We'll just go down the road. I let me think about that. All right, we'll I'll go to Jay McDowell. Just um, be reliable. That's the number one tip. That being reliable and showing up when you're supposed to show up trumps everything else. Right. Like, that's, you can that's be true. you can be a mediocre musician. And if you're there on time and in the right place with your stuff ready to go, that's more valuable to, to a unit than the best musician out there. So Now, would you also say that? That's, I totally agree with that, yeah. I've, if you say you're going to be somewhere, be there. That's right. Yeah. That's the number one rule. So consistency. And that's more important than all of everything else combined in my mind. That's right. Because Especially, like, in a place like this, there's so much competition that, like... You got two seconds, man, and somebody else has got got your shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, like, if, like if you come in with an attitude, you yeah. can be replaced. Someone's yeah, on speed dude, dial. That's why everybody in this town is so nice. Like everyone in LA is like, you know, all mean and all this shit. Everybody here's got to be nice because if you're an asshole, they're not calling you back, man. And you, you're gonna sit at home. I was hoping you wouldn't show up today so I could get your gig. <laughs> Now, John, what would you? What's your tip? I mean, I echo all these guys. Everything they said. Uh, good deodorant. Don't stink on the bus. <laughs> don't smell bad. Don't be a jerk. Get along with people. Get along with everybody because if you're going to get on there and, and espouse your political, religious views every second of the day, they're not going to want to have you around no matter what level of musicianship you are. Be a nice guy. Be somebody that they want to be around because yeah. you only do the gig an hour and a half out of a 24-hour day. So That's the rest right. of that time... We're, we're eating together, we're sleeping right next to each other, we're, go, we're looking for bathrooms at the same time. That's right. You want to be able to get along with everybody. Right. And like, I mean, in that, in that you know, vein, uh, you know, we've brought people into our band, like Cragen, who's, who's filling in for Gary right now. We didn't even try him out. He, he had toured with us, you know, on the bus with Heathen, and, and we just knew that we could live with him, you know? And, and that, that's and more that important was, than that anything. Was, like, we knew he could play. Like, that was not even, like, the issue. Like, we knew we could live on the bus with him for two years while we, he was filling in for Gary. And, like, we didn't even try him out. He just was there, you know. So, basically, the number one and two rule is don't date the lead singer's girlfriend, <laughs> no matter how good it looks. And the second thing is don't take the lead singer's yogurt or apple from the bus refrigerator there's something to that 
There is. There's something to that. I mean, I've, I have hung out with bands that were going along just fine, and then somebody did something with somebody's french fries or something, and, you know, did some prank, and the next thing you know, that guy's off the tour. That's it. You're unemployed. Yeah. It happens all the time. Now, it wouldn't be rock and roll without some mishaps, right? It wouldn't be music without mishaps. So I'm going to go from John to Jay to our, our fine uh, friend here, Jack Gibson. John Billings, what is the most messed up thing that ever happened to you on stage or with your rig? My rig. Rig was, a, was never a problem, uh, but... Like you never had a car run over your base or no, anything? No, the falls. It's right. always the falls. I've fallen spectacularly in front of thousands and thousands of people. And that's the thing that sticks with me and bruises my ego the most to this day. Well, I know that you've had some bases come up missing when you're flying and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but you know what? I, I don't want to seem like I don't really care about that, because I do, obviously. You want your tools to be where they are. And, but I don't right. travel with really expensive stuff. So, like, you have a dedicated road. Oh, yeah. I, like, if, if it's a fly date with Mickey, I'll take, um, I'll take my Made in Mexico P-Base. Right. So there's something dreadful happens, God forbid. Like the, when it comes the, the out of custom. My mono bag is more expensive than the bass. <laughs> yeah. And the bass still sounds good, it does the job. But if something horrible happens, I'm not out, you know, ten thousand dollars of a right. classic right. P bass. Right. And and when it comes down the conveyor belt and it looks like someone threw it through right. a wood chipper. Last year I, I, I remember. got a brand new bass uh, epiphone. I brand new. Well epiphone's right around the corner and we live around the corner. So on the way to the airport we picked up the bass. Opened it up and went, oh, that looks great. Okay, I'm out of here. Went to the airport, gave it to Southwest, <laughs> got on the plane, flew through Vegas, L.A., landed in Burbank Airport, no base. And I didn't panic. I was like, I didn't make it. You know what? I'm staying across the street. It'll show up. And sure enough, a couple hours later, I get a call from Southwest, and the woman goes, well, something happened. Um, and she wouldn't say, but I could tell from her tone right. of her voice. <laughs> she said, but, you know, um, we found your shipping... I had, you know, I had my label, John Billings' right. phone number, everything. Yeah. all of it gone. She said, but we found your shipping label from Epiphone, <laughs> and, and we put that with your seat. We realized it's you. And I said, well, well when can I get it? And she goes, uh, uh, tomorrow, could you come by? And I was like, oh, my God. That be good. <laughs> so I showed up, and the bass was untouched. The bass looked beautiful, not a scratch on it, right, off, right from the Epiphone floor. The case the, was mangled The expensive belief. case. The TSA, not the baggage yeah. handlers. The TSA, when they ran it through, it got caught in the machine, <laughs> and it crushed the case. The base was fine. It did, the case did its job. It wow. took it, took the bullet for the base, wow, right? That's like a and, did its um, job. That's like a commercial. It yeah, and uh, I just you went. Played the gig with I played the gig, and then I called Epiphone, and they were able to get us a case. And but that wasn't oh, the worst man. thing that ever really happened. Uh, it, usually by the next day, the, the base will show up somewhere. But that was right. That one was not cool. I remember that happening. It was very heartbreaking. Now, Jay, <laughs> how about you? What's the worst thing that ever happened to you on stage or with your uh, rig and stuff? Well, um, playing the upright, I'm slapping. Uh, this happened right downtown in Broadway, Roberts. Uh, one night we were playing, and I hit the bass, and something felt odd. And I looked down at my hand, and my index finger was... 90 degrees to the left. Oh, and it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. Oh, but God. I got a sick feeling in my stomach from looking at that. It just looked wrong. Very disorienting. I did the exact wrong thing. I pulled it, and that's when it 
hurt. So it popped back straight and went back normal, but the pain hit me and I just about passed out. And uh, when I've told this story to Ken, he said, but you finished the song, right? No, no. <laughs> I went to the emergency room and um, of course I'm dressed in a, you know, an old hillbilly, you know, <laughs> nudie suit and rhinestones and the whole deal because I'm just leaving the gig, right? I go to the emergency room, my hand's all bandaged up, I'm in pain. This really nice African-American nurse uh, was taking care of me and she said, how did you do this? I said, playing bass. And she said, how, how would you, and I know she was picturing me playing. Yeah. <laughs> playing the bass, playing the bass. And I said, well, you know, it's a slap bass, like I'm playing upright, I'm slapping it. And I know, again, I know she's picturing this right. and me like yeah. flailing my arm on it. <laughs> so they took x-rays, it was just dislocated. Uh, they gave me some nice drugs and I was back the next night, but it was a, a panic, you know. Again, if you hurt your, if you break your hand or you break your leg as a stand-up bass player, you're letting the band down. You've got right. gigs and, you know, it's, it's important to, uh, again, be reliable and, you know, it's like, it's not just you that it affects, it affects everybody. Right. Well, I'm going to change the end of that story. Not only was his finger out of joint, but he wound up playing and finishing the gig, and it was one of the greatest moments in music history. Yeah, that was, that's, that's what I meant to say, yes. That's, that's how I'm going to tell the story. Sure, sure. Now, now Jack, let the truth get in the way. You've got, you've got a bunch of them. I know you do. Yeah, I have, I have some, I've had some terrible things happen on stage. Um, you know, I mean, just our music lends to people being on stage that aren't in the band. And um, and you have a wild audience. And we have a wild audience. Exodus, uh, right? Yeah. So um, I've had my my ankle dislocated by a, a guy. You know, a guy got on the stage, ran from security this way. I wasn't looking. He takes me out. I'm out. <laughs> um, I've had where I was leaning in to do a backup, and a guy flailed his legs over and kicked the mic and took my front tooth out. Um, and, uh, you know, just a bunch of stuff like that where you're not paying attention and, man, in one second, some idiot mosher can really, like, you know, hurt you. you now, know. I know you have over-enthusiastic fans, and there was one that was... She wasn't quite doing cosplay. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Yeah, so this girl showed now, up. Now, keep in mind, this is rock and roll. This is a little bit PG and up, so get ready, folks. Here we go. So this girl showed up at our show, and she was kind of an, an attention seeker. She, she had almost no clothes on and, uh, and a little cat of nine tails whip. Didn't she have, and, like, uh, tape? She had tape on her boobies yeah. and, you know, stuff like that. And, which, uh, which I actually have on right now underneath my shirt, so... <laughs> Well, you are sitting next to me, so. Hot. So anyway, to make a long story short, she got on stage with this cat of nine tails, and uh, our singer Paul Bailoff at the time, who was sitting on a stool because he had broke his ankle. <laughs> Rock and roll is serious yeah. business, folks. So uh, you know, it's Exodus shows are dangerous places to be. So anyway, this girl got on stage, and we were trying to get her off stage, and she she was like real slippery, and we couldn't we couldn't grab her and get her off. And uh, so she goes up to the front to our singer and like she's trying to be all cool and she hands him, you know, the whip and like bends down in front of him and like she didn't know who Bailoff was, man. And he whipped the shit out of that girl with that whip, man. She dove off the front of the stage as fast as she could and 
he just threw the whip at her and kept on singing it. And was, it was one of those like hot topic whips. It wasn't a serious whip. Yeah, but he. <laughs> he's like, what do it I do? It didn't matter, man. It yeah, didn't I matter. Want, I don't want to get hit by that. <laughs> yeah, because you know she's not the band. She's not. That's not what everyone's yeah. paying to see. No. So it was one way to really get her off the stage fast, I oh, guess. Yeah. But yeah. but she's the one handing them the whip and bent over. Hey. So. Topsy turvy world of rock and roll, folks. You don't do that with Paul Bailoff. He'll he'll get you. Now, there's always jokes about different musicians. Like, for example, did you guys read in the paper this week that something amazing happened? A lead singer actually happened to to unload the equipment. That it just made <laughs> it shocked the music industry. Uh, and there's always jokes about bass players. And in a lot of ways, the bass players have been the Rodney Dangerfield of rock and roll. You know what I mean? Uh, there are some bass players who are the guy in the band, but normally it's, it's not the case for whatever reason. So I want to ask you, uh, do bass players get the respect that they should get, or are they the Rodney Dangerfield of rock? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it depends. There's a lot of bass players out there that are barely, that are barely playing their instrument, you know. Um, that are just that are just barely hanging on. So I mean, I think those are the guys that you know give bass players that that reputation. You know what I mean? Um, uh, I, I think that reputation just comes from the fact that you know we don't have as flashy of a job as the rest of the the you know people in, in the band. Unless like, you're uh, Billy Sheehan. Unless you're Billy, or you know. Yeah, the you best know, Stu Ham or, or whatever. But I'll say the best bass players are the ones you don't notice. That's right. That's the best. I mean, even player. Billy Sheehan, you know, his favorite band is ACDC. Yeah. And he said he wouldn't play those songs any other way. You know. Right, right. So. I mean, so you feel some bass players deserve that because that's that's really what they bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, it's just I think not a lot of people like. You have to be a real music connoisseur to start listening to the bass. You know. Right. Like people, they just turn on the radio, they listen to the words and maybe the guitar or whatever. But, you know, like you really have to be a serious consumer of music to start listening and rating bass players. You know what I mean? <laughs> to most right. people, it's just they're invisible. Yeah. Right. Jay, same question. Um, I, I consider myself the front man of the band. Okay. Just as only as the bass player. No, it's, uh, it's as an upright bass player you get more attention because right, right. you look different, you stand out. But, right. um, I, you know, I, I do think of, though, like, touchstones, like the bass line in Time Won't Let Me by The Outsiders. Oh, man. The bass line in Rain. Uh, just certain things that, that do jump out at you and you're listening to the, you know, and you're, you're tuning into it and it, it grabs you. And, and there's monkeys bass lines that still slay me. And Carol Kay and all that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. Such, it's just such a... Um, so there are times when it brings attention to itself. Yet, again, I'm pointing out bass lines, not bass players. Right, you, right. You did name Carol Kay, but yeah. again, it's like, in that, in that sense, they don't get the respect because we don't single them out by name. Right. But there are certain bass lines that we all know and it makes us all respond and, and react to. But um, uh, I guess you could make that argument for every instrument that, you know, 
Right. The, does the drummer get any respect? No. Does the well, the drummer doesn't deserve any respect. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. My, it's a my joke. Point, my point exactly. Yeah. There you go. Quite true. So, John, your thoughts on that? I, I mean, again, I'm always the guy going ditto, exit. They, they, they nailed it all. Um, but, you know, my favorite meme is, a, is actually, it's not even a meme, it's a, the onion story where it's a girl crying and she's being consoled by her friend and she goes, I accidentally slept with the bass player last night. <laughs> That's my favorite onion one and it's sadly so true. But, yeah, I, you know, the thing is, if the bass player's doing what he's supposed to do nine times out of ten, is he's, he is invisible. You're not noticing. Right. The guitar player's doing a solo, he's on the lip of the stage, the bass player's holding down the foundation in the back with the drummer. And as an audio engineer, if I ever thought somebody was getting a little too cocky in, in the control room about their amazing guitar solo, I just mute the bass and I go, well, how's the sound now? How's, it, how's, it, how's your track sound now? Right. So it's, 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 it's always there. It needs to be there. And when it's gone, you, you really tragically it. miss it. And when yeah. you have a bass player who's not grooving and not locking, the same thing. It sticks out like a sore thumb. So it's an important job, but sadly it's a job that... Or a, a sore thumb or Jay's broken yeah, exactly. finger, finger pointing that way. Uh, so anyway, so um, I'm going to ask you guys, it may seem like a weird question, because in a way you've all made dreams come true, right? But if you could be in any band that you've not yet been in, what band would that be? I, I would want to have been in the Highwaymen. The Highwaymen, yeah. yeah. Johnny Cash and all those cats. Why, why that song? Or why, why, why that band? I mean, it's just, you know, four of my most favorite mu music makers of all time. Just, they're epic. I mean, that, that's kind of like what the Traveling Wilburys were trying to be. And they, yeah. had, they had a, you know, fucking Beatle in the band and shit, you know. <laughs> So, I mean, it's, it's just like the ultimate, it was just the ultimate get-together of musicians to me. Yeah, that would have been a great dream come true. Jay McDowell, uh, your answer. Well, I got a soft spot for all the early 60s British Mercy Beat stuff. Like, it would be fun to be a bass player in that scene in the early 60s. Again, there's countless bands that so many people have never even heard of that were all bashing it out. And, you know, everybody knows the Beatles and the Stones and the Jerry and the Pacemakers and that, but... That would, be, that would be a sweet spot for me. Mm -hmm. John Billings. Well, if, if my wife wasn't here, I'd be more confident in saying, I always wanted to play with Nine Inch Nails, but she mocks me mercilessly because <laughs> she says, you can't, you can't not smile for more than two seconds. And then she makes me prove it, and I go, I do my Nine Inch Nails face, and then like after 30 seconds, I start laughing or something. So she's right. I can never do the gig. I can never do the gig. And that was my. That's, that was kind of something I always was. I would. I would have loved to put that feather in my cap. Yeah, I can understand where she, she's like saying, "Honey, you're just not goth enough." You can't smile on that gig. It's black <laughs> t-shirts and no smiling. Trent Reznor would throw you out, not for just dating his girlfriend or taking his yogurt, but for smiling during the There's gig. There's no right? smiling. I saw him smile for the first time on a TV interview and it looked so weird. It, 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 it made you feel strangely uncomfortable. It was strangely uncomfortable. You smiled and I went, that's the yeah. weirdest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Nine Inch Nails. Now, I want to ask you a question because you have such a unique challenge that Jay doesn't necessarily have to deal with and Jack doesn't necessarily have to deal with. You are playing music that was created with the Wrecking Crew. And Does anybody know who the Wrecking Crew is? 
one of the they, they've made so many hits I mean chances are if there was a hit from the 60s and 70s it was them playing on it so you really have to eat your Wheaties a lot of the times when you're recreating that stuff agreed agreed I had to, I got the I had the great fortune I was doing a carpenter's tribute a really high-end really cool tribute uh-huh um, and uh, I got to meet Joe Osborne and talk to Joe about and just be a geek and go, how did you do it? I mean, did you, stupid stuff. What was the gauge scales? Did you use a heavy pick or a thin pick? But, you know, I got to sit and talk with him. And if you ever met Joe, he's like, you know, I don't know. I don't care. But uh, he, you know, old strings, P bass. But I got, I got to talk to him and kind of get a feel sonically for how he got to from here to there. And then um, there's out there on the magic universe of YouTube, there's solo tracks of Joe playing with Karen, where somebody took the surround channel and just posted the surround channel. So it's just bass and vocal and like a little kick drum, and you can really, you can magnify focus the bass part, on focus it. in. And it's weird because I know that, for example, Peter Tork, what song was it you were playing and he disagreed with you that that was how it went? It was, I, I don't remember, but I used to keep, God bless Peter Tork, but I used to God keep. God bless Peter Tork. Peter, Peter Tork, Tork ladies and gentlemen. I used to keep uh, a we little. We love you. I keep my, uh, I had a little bass trainer box. It's one of these things where you, you can plug your bass into and it plays your MP3. You can play along and rehearse. Mm -hmm. And uh, I used to have ISO tracks from the Monkees producer, the show producer had them. And I keep a headphones plugged into them. And if, if Peter, you know, Peter would remember things differently. We all do. We all remember things well, differently. Yeah. And I would go, and I'd have to go, just uh, take a listen, boss. <laughs> and he'd say, you're right. Sometimes, sometimes he was right. He yeah. gave me a lot of um, grief over you, the song called You Told Me that he played bass on. And he was right. He, um, the way he would slur into a note. And I'm just, I would just hammer on the note. And he would look at me on stage. And, you know, and afterwards, i go, what, what were you looking at? And he wanted me to slur that note. And he remembered it specifically. And, and I went back and listened. You know, I was like, I'm going to check this out. And he was right. He is a great, great He's man. He's a great bass player. He was um, awesome. a great human being. Yeah, multi-instrumentalist. Yeah, he by played the way. everything. Now, uh, I want to do a little thing uh, about rate the bass player, but first I have one big question to ask you. Would you say that being a bass player has made your dreams come true? And John, I'm going to answer for you a little bit. Yes, because he's married to Amy Billings, <laughs> and she's hot, That's and a we true love statement. her. Nashville Jam. Okay, so Jack, has, has being a bass player made your dream come true? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've gone all over the world and, you know, played music for all kinds of people that wanted, that wanted to hear it. You know, it was, it's, it's, it's made everything that I've ever had, you know, wanted come true, yeah. Fantastic, I'll, Jay. I'll echo that. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I didn't even know that it was my dream. And then it Th took, those are the best things took that me happen places, in life. It took me to places and, and to meet people that I, you know, meeting your record collection. That's, there's no better way to put it than you're like, I, you're not a real person. You're, you're a record in my yeah, wall right. and, and uh, in my shelf. Uh, but, but finding and then finding out that they are human beings and they're music fans as well. Uh, getting to interact with them and find out that they're turned on by the same, you know, the same music that got me into it in the first place is it's just hard to put into words and it's also made your current gig happen uh right 
a, a little plug for something anyone needs to check out. You're a member of the, the thing, right? The, yes. Jay works at the Musicians Hall of Fame. If you love music, I'm serious. You, you owe it to yourself to get there. It's not just about country. It's not just about Motown. It's not just about the British invasion. It's not just Jimi Hendrix. It is literally music from the beginning of recorded music up till now. That's what we cover is recorded music. So uh, we're at the Municipal Auditorium right downtown in the heart of Nashville. Uh, we're all about the people behind the scenes, producers, songwriters, engineers, of course, musicians, um, but all types of music. And uh, we have an amazing collection. We've got the largest collection of the Wrecking Crew instruments in the, that's in one place in the world. Uh, Motown, Muscle Shoals, Atlanta, uh, Memphis, uh, Philly. It's New York, L.A. It's just there's... It's mind-blowing. Please come see it. And, it. and it's broken down by cities. For example, when you get into the thing, you know, it, it talks about Motown, and it talks about each section, and it's all interactive. And you see stage-worn costumes, musician, uh, their, their, their gear, everything. Stuff that like, was used on Neil Young's Harvest album or Bruce Springsteen, anything. It's there. It really is an amazing thing. And I'll tell you what really blew me away was the Roy Orbison stories that were there. Yeah. Because there's a lot about Roy you don't know, and it was amazing. That's uh, true. So, John Billings, let's go to you. Uh, would you say that being a bass player has made your dreams come true? Absolutely. It, just like Jeff said, just being able to travel the world, go places I never would have been able to, to, to visit had I just had a... Had just my regular nine to five, and then meeting meeting your record collection. That was a great way of putting that. Meeting people that you've listened to and you admired, and sitting down having a drink with them, or a bite to eat, or just a passing hello, and then realizing this how surreal that moment was, and that you owe it all to being able to just you know to, to follow your dreams and play that, that instrument and brought you to that place. Yeah. Plus, you married a hot chick, and I married. That is because of bass. Right there. <laughs> and it's all about the bass, right? All about the bass. So I'm, I'm, what I want to do, hey, John, quit looking at your pretty wife. Now listen to me. We've got like three minutes, so we're going to okay. do this thing called Rate the Bass Player. I'm going to, to say a name, and you give me like one word or two words or a sentence, but bang. Ready? Billy Sheehan. <laughs> Billy Sheehan. Go. Incredible. Okay. Hero. Hero? Yeah. Mind-blowing. Yeah, absolutely. Doug Pinnock of King's X. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking awesome and great guy. Real nice guy, too. Just a, a, a amazing front man. Incredible front man. Mm -hmm. We've got the whiskey-sipping bass player himself, Michael Anthony. <laughs> Woo! You guys like Michael Anthony? Come on! I think yes. I think Michael's one of those underrated, you know, dudes because he was always standing next to Eddie, you know. But man, I mean, I love Michael Anthony, man. And that like, voice. Like, yeah, and his voice too. I mean, it's he, like, I I love Michael Anthony. Paul McCartney. Oh yeah. The, the start and the finish. Uh, I'm wow, not, I'm not familiar. Never heard of him. Doesn't he doesn't quite ring a bell? And one of my favorite bass players from one of my favorite bands, Cheap Trick, Mr. Tom Peterson Ooh. of Nashville. Now he now lives right. here. Yeah, that's that's good, man. I've actually I just played I played a couple uh, 
Cheap Trick songs with the uh, residency guys yeah. recently, and like his bass lines are like anatomically correct for the for the neck. They're like they're they're subtly like beautifully written things, man. I will they're, say they're awesome. Badass. He's a yeah. badass. He yeah. is yeah. definitely yeah. badass. And uh, Cliff Williams, ACDC, who in a lot of ways does not get enough credit because people think of him as a simple bass player. He's the rock, dude. Like, he's the rock in rock and roll, man. He's always, you guys like ACDC, don't you? Come on, let's hear it. Yeah. Larry Graham. Oh, what damn. You, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, baby. Yeah. yeah. Man, the thumpalicious. <laughs> and then we've got the Motown bass section, right? Jay, you know the names. Richard Pistol Allen, Johnny Griffith, James Jamerson, Joe yeah. Messina. The Funk Brothers. The yeah. Funk Brothers. Yeah, they brought the funk. Yeah. Absolutely they did. And then you've got the Stax record. You have his bass. We have one you? of James's bases. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. And uh, yeah, we got a whole whole section of their stuff. And then you've got Stax, the Memphis Sound, right? Duck sure. Dunn Duck and Dunn. all those cats. Yeah. And They're just uh, laying it down. And it's it's to me, it's to, to go back to that time to think like, a song like Green Onions didn't exist, and then yeah. it did. And then, yeah. Like, somebody came up with that, and it's, it is so simple, but it's... Sounds like it's always been there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't imagine that song not existing. Yeah. Well, I would like you all to uh, thank these guys for giving their time and giving it to you and their experience. John Billings, stand up and take a bow, say hi. Jay McDowell. Jack Gibson. I would ask Jay to stand up, but he's so damn tall. He doesn't need to. And I'm Ken Mills, the Podfather. I Thanks, love Ken. you. Thank you. Thank you. You're making my dreams come true. That's a Hall & Oates song. I hope you enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. It was great to do this in front of a live audience. It was, it was a lot of fun. We also did some other recordings that you're going to hear on Pop that were live. We even did an episode of the Fun Size Show. So you will be hearing that as well. We're going to turn you on to some new artists. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the future of Pop. We're not closing up shop or anything, so don't fear any of that. But I just want to kind of state the purpose of Pop. Uh, it really is all about pop culture, which really means I want to talk about whatever I want to talk about. Pop, a pop culture podcast, could just as easily be called the KenCast. So we will continue to bring the things that we have in the past, our regular pop episodes, uh, the big reveal, fun size show, WKIP, everything that we've done. Just think of it as like this is a TV channel and you never know what show's coming up next. So <laughs> thank you for sticking with me. I know that it's difficult since it's not a dedicated one subject podcast. But I want to thank you for listening, and we will keep having some fun. And to play us out today, it is BR549 with Jay McDowell on bass playing one of their hits, Cherokee Boogie. We'll see you on the next episode of Pop, your KenCast.
Culture audio fanzine made for fans by fans. Any samples of music, TV, or movies heard here remain the property of their owners. Pop, a pop culture podcast, is not affiliated with any products we review or discuss. Opinions heard here belong to the people who express them and may not reflect the views of the pop staff. If you like something that you heard, buy it at your local record, video, or bookstores, or wherever pop is found. If you enjoy the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm your announcer, Christine Wolf, saying whatever you do, make sure it pops. Say goodnight, Dick. <laughs>